This is Paul Watson, and you're listening to the Film Focus Podcast. Fulham celebrated Tim Ream's 300th appearance for the club with three points for Marco Silva's Black and White Army. And Tim again showed the class that has epitomized his career by his attentive support for Chris Basham, who suffered that horrific leg break at the cottage this Saturday gone. We've got a lot to discuss because, ladies and gentlemen, there was three points. Huzzah! And three goals. And we're going to get into that with Luke Sargent, Matt Arthur, and myself. I'm Boney. Welcome to your Fulham Focus podcast. Fulham. Gentlemen, here we are again. We have happier things to discuss, unless you're Chris Basham, of course. <laughs> poor, poor lad. But we've got three three goals to talk about. Technically, we scored three and they scored one, even though it was the other way around. So we'll we'll get all to that. But Sarge, how have you been since last week? We're a bit happier this week. In a much, much better mood than last week, definitely. Um, it was a much more enjoyable game to watch. It was a nice day as well, nice and sunny down at the cottage. It was nice and warm. Short sleeves were were the order of the day. Um, yeah, overall, it's, it's one of those, I think I said it last week, that if we get three points this weekend, it, it does change the picture again and, and things can be viewed in a more positive light. Unfortunately, that's where we're at. We're, we're in a position where it is a little bit more positive than it was after that drab performance against Chelsea. Stato, how have you been? How how did you view the the weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all good, thanks. Um, I think the best way to kind of sum up the weekend is to look at the Fulham Focus WhatsApp group chat. Now, over the years, when things go wrong, the group chat goes into complete and utter meltdown. And in the build up to this game, there was the sense that a similar thing could be happening. You know, if if we weren't to win. At the weekend, we could see a full a full blown meltdown, something we haven't seen probably since since the Parker days. And you know, there's that little bit of apprehension going into the game, but thankfully, we put in a good performance and we got the result, and that meltdown can be avoided. Hopefully, all season, but hopefully for now. For now. <laughs> even even Morgs was happy. It was it was a bit of a shocker, really. <laughs> Which is rare. It is, it is rare, ladies and gentlemen. It is rare. So let's dive straight into it. Because when it's a win, there's always lots of fun things to talk about, especially when there's a win with goals. And um, interesting team selections as well, because Vinny started up front. Raul was on the bench along with Muniz. Throughout the rest of the team, our other proper starter was Iwobi coming in at the eight instead of Reed. I was quite happy about that when I when I saw that. I thought it was it was nice to see a change. You'll be giving us a little bit more directness. Um, it was a positive team, and it looked it looked happy. Bobby out on the right as well. What was the general feeling when you saw the t- team sheet? It was kind of what we all called for, wasn't it? It was we we talked about it last week, and we said about we wanted change, and we we weren't sure if Marco would make that many changes. Um, I, I said that I did think he would bring Iwobi in. I thought this would be the game that Iwobi gets to start and I was happy to see that happen. Um, and I called for Bobby Reed to come in for Harry Wilson, although I wasn't as confident that that would be the, play, that would be the case. 
Um, but when I saw it, I was happy. And I think, you know, we, we all kind of were on the fence about the Vinny Raul thing. It's sort of like we could see why Raul maybe would keep playing. And, you know, <laughs> has Vinicius done enough to really demand that he start in that position? It's arguable, but I don't think it's definitive. Um, but yeah, I think I think the changes were kind of what the general consensus has been calling for over the last week or so. So it, you know, it's it's good to see that Marco Silva is looking at things and and seeing maybe you know with a much more educated eye similar things to the rest of us. Um, and it was a positive team, like you say, it was a team that was set up to go and win that game, and that's what we needed to do. So uh, overall, I think once I saw the lineup, I was I was pretty happy with what we saw, and like I say, I think it was it was kind of what what everyone was asking for. Sato, did you believe it was an early six-pointer? I think early six-pointer is, you know, that uh, kind of meltdown panic mode that I spoke about earlier. <laughs> but, you know, in a way, it could have been. But I think, no, I think it's too early to call it a six-pointer. And also, I don't think we'll be in a position where we need to be playing six-pointers. But it was definitely a crucial game and one that we needed to win, especially, you know, going into an international break going into something like this off the back of a win is always you know, a much better mood to be in. Morale's a bit higher now. Things are kind of looking good. We're in a good amount of points. We're in a good position. You know, Things are looking quite healthy now. Sheffield United have come into this game but they're, they're always they're a team I kind of thought were going to be not as struggling as much as they were because they're, they're set up to be hard to break down they play play that three five two, which is always one of the many formations we struggle against but they've been i've put i've put in my notes form of the teams us meh them uh, which kind of sums things up because they have had a torrid time i'm i'm not i'm not that su- surprised that they are where they are they've had an awful summer i mean i know we haven't had a great summer but they didn't really sign any Premier League quality players or that many Premier League quality players and then at the same time they lost two of their key players they lost Sanderberger to Burnley and they lost I forgot his name now Indai Indai who was kind of instrumental to them getting promoted last year and they didn't really replace them and you look at them coming into the start of the season you, you see that squad and you just kind of knew they were going to struggle. Whether we knew they were going to struggle this bad of only having one point, maybe not. But yeah, there's not much quality there. And you know, you look at you look at the, that starting eleven: McBurney, Ollie Norwood. We love him, but come on, is he the fact he's starting week in week out for a Premier League team? Chris Basham. I mean, obviously, what happened to him was unfortunate, but he's a 35 year old centre back who's you know probably had his best days behind him and there wasn't much quality in that squad. So that's why when I say I don't see that as a six-pointer, had we not got a result against this team, it would have been, yeah, it would have been quite disastrous. And, you know, this isn't me coming at Sheffield United and attacking them. It's kind of just the brutal reality of the quality of the squad that they have and how the jump between the Championship and the Premier League is getting just bigger and bigger now. It's a squad that is full of players that either haven't cut it at Premier League level on previous attempts or haven't been at Premier League level in the past. That's literally what they're working with. You know, their big signing was Cameron Archer and he looks a lively player, but he's not been at this level before. And 
it shows, I think, especially I was, I was listening to talk sport on the way home as I was driving back from the game and they weren't really talking about Fulham, but they, they were talking about the fact that really the, the positions that you need now, I think they were talking about Manchester United actually when they were talking about this, but they were basically saying the positions you need now, if you want to be competitive in the Premier League, you need a top quality goalkeeper and you need someone to put the ball in the net at the other end. And if you kind of have those two things, you've got half a chance and that you need other players as well. And other players will be key in different positions, but things that you can't get away with, you cannot get away with not having someone to score you goals and you cannot get away without having someone to keep them out. And we're quite fortunate in this sense, because while the goals aren't flowing at the moment, we do have Bernard Leno and that goes a long way. And in previous seasons, when we've, tried to stay up and it's one of the first positions that kind of gets looked at under Parker when we were able to keep goals out although we didn't score them we did have Ariola. the time we went down before that we conceded shed loads of goals and we went through three goalkeepers and none of them were really good enough and you look at that Sheffield United team they don't have a top quality goalkeeper unfortunately and you know where's Fotheringham he, he, he was at Fulham for a while in his career so we look at him fondly in that respect, but he's never really done it at this level and they don't have a striker that's done it at this level and that that's always going to point towards a very long and difficult season. But they made things tricky for the first half, I thought, watching the game. It, 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 was, it was us. It, okay, let me quantify that. Dear listener, Stato has just pulled a face, so I'm going to quantify my statement here. We didn't, look lively enough to make them feel particularly troubled, I thought. And until maybe the Basham leg break, I don't think we probably had. So that early 15-minute pep talk kind of changed things around a bit and also probably dampened them. But that was that was my thinking because I was shouting at the screen quite well, a bit. The, the wincing face I made there is because the first half was kind of a write-off because of the leg break. When that happened, that kind of just killed all momentum for that half and it you know people it's hard to kind of get up to speed once you, a game stops abruptly like that and you know it's trying to get playing again but despite that the other reason I met that wincing phase is we kind of were all over <laughs> them like they offered nothing the ball was in their half most of the time the lack of chances came from kind of that lack of focal point that we can't really have up front that we all know is an issue but we were you know for the whole game we were the dominant team from start to finish. Um, and yeah, despite that leg break, that was still the case you know, throughout most of the first half. What was the reaction in the ground as I wasn't there? Because there was, a, you could hear the noise of people shouting as soon as it happened. What was it like inside the ground? Because that's never a nice thing to be, especially right in front of the hammy end in the corner with the Johnny Hands. So the initial response was, because he, he kind of mishit a cross that just kind of flew straight out for a goal kick. So the initial response was just down a sort of, Way! but it very quickly touched short when he kind of rolled over and you saw in very graphic terms that his leg was no longer as it should be. And my initial reaction and the people around me at, at the back of H4 was kind of like, to first of all sort of be like, oh, and then and six or seven of us literally turned our back to the pitch because it was it wasn't a nice thing to see and it was sort of like whoa like it was, it was a it was a shock really and it it very quickly went from 
sort of a jovial mocking of the situation to a very serious, oh my God, that, that looks really bad. And, and, and it was, it was rough. And, and Tim Ream was there on the scene and he was the closest man to Basham when it happened. And, and immediately his, and it speaks of the man, he immediately dropped down to his knees and held his hand and sort of, you know, was just there with him in that moment, which I just think was just a really commendable thing. He, did, he didn't turn away. A lot of us, our initial reaction was to go, oh shit, that looks horrible. I'm not looking at that anymore. And Tim Reams was, oh my God, this guy needs some support right now. And that's what he did. And I, I think that, you know, that's a mark of who he is. But um, even if before and after that, I, I don't know, like the sense in the ground was that we were just really wasteful through that first half. We we had some really good. We had a chance really early on with Bobby Reed, and I think the defender just about got in the way of it as he went to tap it in and diverted it over the bar. It was difficult to see from because it was the other end of the pitch. There was a moment where William, like we pressed the goalkeeper, and he kind of kicked it out poorly, and it came to William, and everyone was willing William to shoot, and I think William last season gets his head up and pops that into the net, or at least has a go. I think we just looked like a team that needed a goal but haven't really had a lot of goals recently and it was just a confidence thing and it always felt like once one went in we would get more um and I I, I don't know I think I think first half we actually we played some good stuff and opposition accounted for it it was one of the better performances of the season in terms of our attacking play the way we set things up we got the ball wide a lot and got the ball into the box, which is what we haven't been doing. We, we've been getting the ball out wide and then cutting inside and then coming back and then trying again. And then the defence gets back into shape and we can't make any progress. Whereas we seem to be a lot more direct. We got the ball into the wide areas. We got at them. We got the ball across the face of goal. And although we didn't always connect with it, there was a, there was a threat there. There was a fairly constant threat there. And I think it was just one of those where probably a bit like Chelsea were before they played us on Monday where, you know, I think you mentioned it, Boney, that Chelsea hadn't been playing that badly. They just weren't putting the ball in the net. And we were kind of in a position where we were playing quite well, but we weren't putting the ball in the net. And I think that happens sometimes to teams that are a bit low on confidence. And I think we were in a position where confidence was probably a bit low because we had a shit performance on the Monday. And we hadn't looked like scoring in the majority of the games we played up to this point. So... One of the things I I spotted got in the notes was having Bobby on allowed him and William to switch sides a few times. That was working well. Castagna was seems to have figured out what he's doing on on the right, so that was complementing what what Jedi was doing. Because um, Robinson got that great cross in for for Bobby, who should have done a lot better than he did. But it again, it's that wasteful thing coming on. But there's something we have to talk about, which is Carlos Vinicius being a bit of a prat, um, and if there's one golden rule in football is when you're standing there in the box in front of the referee, you don't put your hand in anyone else's grill. And he, I'm, I'm not sure who he grabbed, but he did put his hand up against someone's throat and the guy went down like a sack of spuds. I thought we were lucky to get away with that. It, I think it, cause it was a bit comedic the way it happened, but in this day and age, <laughs> I sound terrible this day and age, you know what I mean? Th- those things can, can escalate very quickly. I thought he had a good game holding the ball up, but I thought he 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 almost seemed overamped to try to prove it, and that was a bit of the outcome for it. 
Yeah, I'd, I haven't seen a replay of that and I didn't notice it when it happened. I just saw it kind of the aftermath of it where the ref kind of went in and was having a word and there was a play on the floor and there was a sort of a bit of nervousness. I think because a lot of people didn't know. We had a corner, so I think everyone was kind of focused on the ball, wasn't really paying attention to what was going in the box and there was a little bit of nervousness about what's actually happened here and, and is he actually going to get into some trouble? So I wasn't too aware of that. One thing I did see though in the second half because it happened right in front of the hammy end he was kind of like chasing after a bit of a lost cause and the defender got his body across and he looked to kind of like swipe his elbow or his arm down on his back as well, which was like completely unnecessary. Um, and that could have got him in a bit of trouble as well. And the defender, to, be, to his credit, didn't really overreact or make too much of it. They kind of had a little bit of a push and a bit of, you know, a bit of a shout at each other. But um, that just seemed completely unnecessary as well. And I'm not, I'm not sure where that's come from because I don't remember him being like that last season. Um, maybe it's a bit of frustration at not not having nailed his place down yet and, and being over-eager, like you said. But overall, he did have a good game, but that is definitely something that needs to be watched because there's no point in him coming into the side, having a decent game, and then getting himself suspended for something stupid. So that's just going to kill all momentum that he's got anyway. And also, we've talked about it on this podcast before, managers pick players they trust. And if you can't trust someone to behave themselves on the pitch then, you know, certainly when you haven't got a, a catalogue of work to back you up, which Mitrovic had to be fair, and so when he had his moment of madness, gets back in, Vinicius doesn't have that yet, so he's not going to get that benefit of the doubt. If he loses the manager's trust, you know, he'll find it a long way back to the starting eleven. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think a part of it could be because he's finally, he's finally given his chance to start and, you know, that, might have kind of just overhyped himself and over motivated himself a little bit to be like, right, this is my moment. I need to kind of get on this. And when that happens, you know, players sometimes get a little bit of white line fever and, you know, do lose their heads a bit when they're just in that moment. And it's something he needs to be a bit cautious about, especially if he does start more games, because I do agree uh, that he had, he had a good game. I mean, it wasn't an amazing game. He obviously didn't score and, we still haven't really got a striker who's competent at scoring goals yet, but I thought he held up the ball quite well. I thought he kind of made himself look busy. If you were to compare that to Jimenez from recent performances, you know, Jimenez, he's been a bit of a ghost at times. I haven't really noticed him on the pitch, at least with Vinicius. I could see his presence. He was there. He was putting himself about. He was being busy. Like He was doing something. And that was good to see. And if you can keep up performances like that, and if you can kind of, whilst at the same time keeping the, uh, you know, keeping the anger in check, I think the goals could start coming with him, and he could be kind of the, I don't, I won't say the best option, but at the same time, it's the least worst option. Given that I still, you know, even if he does score a few goals, I don't think he's a long-term solution for us, you know, in that striking position. Let's talk about some goals, shall we? Let's let's be positive because he did play a part in the first one, definitely. Really nice sort of Mitro-esque hold-up play in the middle of the pitch. Um, after ball from Vinny and he released Andres through for Bobby to score. I, I thought that looked like us of old. That was a, a classic Marco Silva's Fulham sort of goal. And that to me was a moment where I thought, okay, we're, we're away now. They're, they've clicked. They've remembered. 
which seems silly, but yeah, and and it was. I just I I thought everything about that play was was really nice. Vinny's really good when he gets the ball into feet. He's not very good when it comes at him in the air. He's not he's not as effective when it comes into him at feet. He's very good at holding the defender off, creating a little bit of space, and then putting it around the corner. It was carbon copy of what he did at Brighton last year for Solomon's winner. He got the ball to feet, spun his man, and just played it into the space in behind. And, you know, he, he needs credit for that. And he did that a few times in the first half where it didn't quite come off, where he tried to knock it around the corner and either the ball wasn't quite accurate enough or a defender managed to get something on it. And it just didn't quite work out. Sometimes I think there was a point where he tried a little back heel that would have put Willian in, but it, again, he didn't quite get the right connection on it. But he is good if the ball's in and around his feet. He's strong enough to keep his body in the way. It's when the ball's in the air, he doesn't really seem to be able to decide what he's going to do. But he was effective. He, he was effective and he he is making a habit of while he's not necessarily the best player on the pitch, he can be decisive in moments. And he, he did that last season, to be fair to him. He was decisive in moments. He was decisive in Brighton away. He was decisive in moments against teams like Leicester. Um, he scored the, the opening goal against Southampton away. Like he... He has his moments. He does He does make things happen. And I think that's a key thing for any player at the moment. While we're waiting to see who's going to be the, the you know, the the ultimate replacement for Mitrovic, what we need at the moment is someone in there that is going to have moments of decisiveness. And he's, he's doing that. He's done that this season. He did it last season. But um, the goal was, yeah, like you said, the goal was was a brilliant goal. It was, it was us at our best. It was direct. It was into the front man, popped it out wide, got it across the face of goal. And then there's someone there on the other side to finish it off. And it, it was brilliant. And I thought at that point, it looked like we were going to go on and, and steamroll them, really. And we probably should have had it not, you know, we hadn't had that moment of unfortunate uh, circumstance with Diop. But it was it was a great goal. It was really well worked. And I think that's what we that's what we want to see. That's what we've come to expect from this team. So what, what do you reckon before I ask you about whether Sheffield United should have stopped when Diop pulled up? I think... The goal also illustrated the importance of of Deco Delva Reed in our team, and also highlights you know at the moment we have a bit of an issue with who our best front three, for the three is. You know what wingers do we go for? And I think Saturday, William and Deco Delva Reed is the way forward. But with Bobby, I think he's actually a really underappreciated player, and I, you know, I include myself in that. In that, I, I you never fully realise you know all the work he does for the team. You know, for that goal, you wouldn't really see Wilson or um, I would say Adama, but we don't really see much of Adama at the moment. You wouldn't really see Wilson kind of make those types of runs and those kind of forward runs into the middle. Bobby is such a intelligent player, to, you know, to make those types of runs, to make those kinds of plays. It really does go under the radar, and you know, there's that stat going around at the moment where I think he's converted half of his sh- shots in the Premier League into goals and. You know, he. I think in the absence of a team that doesn't have a striker who won't score goals, he'll be really important for us to ensure that goals will keep coming. Um, I think he was the, he was the top scorer in that Parker season, wasn't he? It, it, which isn't saying much considering we didn't score many goals anyway. But you know, the fact that he does when we have been in the Premier League, he does chip in with the goals, and he will be important for that. In another season that we're having at the moment, where we may not score that many goals, and. It's chances like that and opportunities like that that you know can only be created if he's on the pitch and he's in he's in the position to kind of finish those chances. There's been talk as well, I think, of him like 
being the option to go through the middle. But I, I'm not a massive fan of that idea. He He's probably our best source of goals right now in terms of his finishing ability. But I just think he... He performs better and he gets, he finds the spaces in the pockets, the space to score those goals when he comes from wide areas. Even in that Parker season, like the goals that he scored there, sometimes he was scoring when he was playing right wing back. But it's because he's so good at arriving in the space. And when you're playing through the middle as a striker, you're already in that space, so you're easier to pick up. He's really, like Stati said, he's very, he's very clever. He's a very intelligent player. He picks his moments really well. And when he scored a load of goals playing as a forward for Bristol, it was, it was because he had a partner with him. He wasn't up there on his own. And we don't play with two forwards. If we ever did go to a two forward system, then I think he would definitely be a candidate to play through the middle in that system. But I think while we're sticking with one forward and two wide men, I think his best position is always going to be coming in off the flank, whether that be the right or the left, and arriving in the space to, to finish off like he did on Saturday, like he did in the first half, but without the finish. He, he does find those pockets of spaces and he gets into them. And, and when he gets there, he he scores half the time, apparently. <laughs> That's a fantastic stat. Uh, yeah, no, he, he, he had a blinder. That was really good. So Diop cracked his foot, according to, to Marco, when he pulled up. There's the debate going that, oh, Sheffield United should have stopped because the player was down. Because he did go down. He sort of floated his way down, didn't he? It wasn't, it was, wasn't there. Um, and it was an exquisite finish by Robinson, I thought. It, it avoided every single player except him for him to stick it in the, the, the bottom the bottom right-hand corner. I I think that was just one of those things, Stato. It, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a turnover ball. We, we, we were caught on the transition. And poor old Jedi was just in the wrong place at the wrong yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. And people complain about putting the ball out. I would ask the question, well, if that happened to us, or if it happened to a Sheffield United player and the ball was in you know, their half and we were attacking, would we put the ball out? No, of course we wouldn't. It's just one of those unfortunate things that happens. You know, it's not a head injury. The referee doesn't need to stop the game. They had no, you know, they had no need to stop the game or put the ball out to play. They did what they had to do. And unfortunately, and it's unfortunate because, of course, it happened a few weeks ago in the League Cup with Tete having to go off the pitch. So a defender goes off the pitch and we can see the goal. It's a recurring trend for us at the moment. But it's just one of those things that happened. And then, yeah, it was a good ball in. It was at an awkward height for Jedi to try and kind of clear it. It was kind of at that hip waist height where you can't head it. So he has to try and jump and kick it. But it took a nick along the way. And yeah, nothing he could really do. And it was at that moment where I thought, oh, God, here we go. This is where the meltdown's going to happen. This is where, even though Sheffield United aren't great and they've done nothing, the game is just against us at the moment and we're just going to draw this game. It's going to be a rubbish point against a team that we should really be winning. And that goal kind of epitomised what you know what the feeling was like when that went in. But you know, thankfully, that wasn't the case. Of course not, because Calvin Baski came on. Yeah, yeah we're... we're, we're... <laughs> golden as soon as he showed up and of course Tom Kearney who goes and does what TC does puts his foot on the ball starts controlling it a couple of minutes later he kicks both his feet falls on his ass and the ball goes into the back of the net so happy days right I didn't actually realize it had gone in <laughs> genuinely genuinely he he shot and he like it 
I, I didn't realise that he'd kicked it off of his, he's kicked it with his left foot onto his right foot and that is what kind of scooped up. I thought he just fell, got under the ball and just put it up in the air. And I was sort of midway for an exasperated, like, look to the ceiling of the Hammersmith end as I sighed and was like, here we go. And then sort of as I brought my head down, I saw the ball and it looked as if it was in the net. But I also, it was that awkward thing of I couldn't tell if it had dropped behind the net or was actually in the goal. And then there was this sort of slightly delayed cheer because the only people that really knew it was in were at the front of the Hammersmith end. And it took a little while for that cheer to kind of travel up to the back of the Hammersmith end. And um, and then I was like, how has that even happened? Because the last time I saw the ball, it was 50 foot in the air sailing over the bar. But it just dipped and then obviously hit the bar and hit the keeper in the back of the head. And it was it was all quite fortunate. But I think it was no less fortunate, really, than Sheffield United's goal. Because if Diop doesn't suffer that fairly innocuous injury, at least it seemed that at the time, they wouldn't have scored. So it kind of, luck kind of balanced itself out in a weird way because they they didn't look like scoring at that point and that kind of came out of nothing. Um, I would say with Diop, and I might be being a little bit harsh here, but in the time between them scoring and Kearney's odd goal, I was kind of like, all right, you've hurt your foot, but you know the game's still going on. And you've literally just stopped with only their players in front of you. Could he not have like fallen on the ball or like use his good foot to like just kick it away from our goal a little? It all just felt a little bit like don't don't just stop, kind of do something and then go down. But I don't know. I might be being a bit harsh, but it just kind of felt like he could have done something there. But again, I, I wasn't in the pain, so I don't. I you know I shouldn't really speak on it, but. That was my emotion for a period of time that he probably could have got rid of the ball before going down. Um, I I remember breaking two ribs in a training rugby training match and my PE teacher saying something along the same times as, as that to me. It can't be that bad, Bone. Get up. Did, yeah. <laughs> and I was literally, I couldn't breathe. So yeah, me. yeah. the PE teachers of the, of the world unite on that one. <laughs> Get on with it. It's, not, it's only a bit of pain. Play through. When, when I played a Sunday league game last year, you know, I, I, made, I clashed with a player, a striker on and go, got absolutely battered and injured. But the first thing I did was get up, you know, to make sure that, you know, the ball, you know, wasn't going in the goal and that, you know, I had to, we had to make a save. Once that was safe, then I did go down again. Obviously, I don't think I cracked my foot. And I, yeah, I did go off injured, but I can't remember what injury I had. But, you know, that kind of backs up Sarge's point in that. In, in a way that, you know, as a, as a professional footballer, your first job is, you know, to play for the team and, you know, to ensure you get the win and you, you get the result and that should be by any means necessary. Even if that means, yeah, you've just cracked your foot open and you're in considerable pain, but, you know, do something with the ball. Even if he falls yeah. on the ball and, like, grabs it with his hand, that's only a yellow card. Yeah, yeah. just take one for the team in that And he's got, he's got to go off anyway. He knows he's injured. So, like, just take the yellow card and just... just get subbed off like you didn't even have to kick it could just fall on it and just you know that thing where players sort of they kind of like convince the referee they've been fouled because they fall over and then they like grab the ball and like scoop it under their body he he could have done something like that i don't i don't know i'm probably being out of order but that was just my thought at the time when i thought we'd fucked it and dropped two points 
I I honestly did not think this was going to be the the main point of debate in this in this part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a minor point. I mean, had we not got the win, then yeah, we we could be slagging off deal from or not. <laughs> if not we not got the win, I definitely wouldn't be being too harsh. <laughs> but we did, so it's fine. Um, let let's go to the last goal because I thought that was more Willian being Willian, hard work on the edge of the box, gets it out again. He's yeah, I've been sort of saying in the pub that he he tends to be shooting at the keeper at the moment and this time he kind of did but it was just far enough away for poor old father name's fingers to not not be strong enough to stop it but i thought there we go that's him that that looked like the william we saw last year that hard work on the edge of the box creating a bit of space popping it back stasso what did what did you think of the last one i feel I feel a bit bad for West Fordham. I think it's going to be a really long and hard season for him. He's going to... Goalkeepers union he's... here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he's going to concede a lot of goals. And what's what's that like, mate? Oh, it's it's a shit show. I mean, last year we were in the, Prem- <laughs> the Sunday League Premier League and we came bottom with zero points. The year before that, we were invincibles in Div One. We're back in Div One now and winning every game. So I'm on the I'm in the good season at the moment where I'm a, I'm having a great time. Um, but when, yeah, you're kind of in a team that isn't as good and you're just facing chance after chance and conceding goals, it's it's rough. And it's, especially when you concede a goal like Kearney's goal, where it's just, that is just pure bad luck for him. And then this William goal happened and you saw it. I, I thought most other Prem keepers probably do save that, where be it with their feet or get a stronger hand to it. And... Not taking anything away from William, he did really, he did really well to kind of carve that chance out as a classic. You know, he managed to cut in and you know, find that little bit of space where he could get the shot away. But yeah, it's one of those where the keeper probably should have done better. But it was, it's good to see that one thing that has remained for us, which was, we, which we were good at last year, is we can see out a win in the Premier League, and that was really crucial for us last year, where we were two one up or one 0 up in the last few minutes and. You could just see, you know, Kearney would come on and he could keep the ball in the corner and him and, you know, Pereira or him or William, whoever was on the pitch, could just kind of play keep ball and, you know, basically bounce the ball around the opposition a lot and we could hold that up well and see out the win. And, it's, and this this was a good example where we can still do that um, with the added benefit of we managed to get a goal at the end there as well to kind of fully seal the win. So it's good to see that, you know, although we have problems at the moment, something like that still remains intact for this team which will be crucial for us to pick up you know those extra points throughout the season he's faced 66 shots on target so far this season yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for him and he's a good shot stopper you know from what i've watched he's good but it doesn't help if your defense isn't great and then yeah you're You've had the most. He's quite. I think he's in his late twenties, could be early thirties at this point, and this is his kind of first full season in the Premier League. It's yeah, it doesn't doesn't bode well for them or him. I don't think. Yeah, he's led in a third of those shots. William William looked back to his not maybe not his best, but like he he looked good at the weekend. I thought William for the first time this season he looked at it. And again, you kind of have to take into account the opposition. But that that was another one. I think he kind of encompassed the team a bit in that like that first half performance. Like I said, I think we played well. We didn't score, but we looked like a team that just needed a goal. We just didn't have the confidence. And William, I wouldn't say he was lacking in confidence because he, he kept going for it. He didn't look like he lacked confidence, but he just kind of needed that 
moment to happen for him to just get him going and you could I got the sense when he scored there was an element in his celebration of like relief like okay like I've scored now we can go we can we can move forward and, and you know we've got a bit of momentum behind us he was just kind of the season's not started that well for him and there's always going to be question marks at his age of oh you know has he got old overnight and is he on the downward slide but I think he showed that you know he absolutely deserved another year with us if not if not two, if he ends up with two, because there's an option on his contract. But he um, he showed that he's still going to be an important player for this year in the way that he played at the weekend. And I think we Fulham Fulham need William at his best to have a successful season because he is a special player when he's when he's going, and he is probably the highest quality player that we have in the squad based on what he's done. So it was good to see him back at it, and hopefully now. You know, he can take that and roll after the international break into the games against some some tough opposition that we've got coming up. We're going to need him to be on song. So it was good to see him back to close to the player that we had last season. They always say that, you know, kind of age is a state of mind kind of thing. And it I, is being the <laughs> oldest person on the pod, I think. <laughs> uh, I think it is. And the thing that kind of made me think about that more, I think it was last season, there was some kind of random report about how... Um, Tottenham's son, Hyungmin, like the Korean army or something, had got, a, got his age wrong and he was actually 29 and not 28. And then you think about a footballer and suddenly your perception of a 29-year-old compared to a 28-year-old footballer, you think a 28-year-old, that's, they're in their prime, they're at, they're at the best level. And then you think of a 29-year-old, okay, still in their prime, but kind of you know reaching their 30s and reaching the end of their careers. But, you know, it makes you think, why do that? You know, age really doesn't mean anything. It's all about the ability, how well you keep um, your body in shape. Um, with the advancements of technology and sports science we have in football now, 35-year-old, it's not what it used to be in football. It's not somewhere at the end of their career. I mean, Tim Ream and William are perfect examples of that. You keep control, you keep good, you know, take good care of your body, you have a good diet, you you stay injury free, then yeah, there's not, your legs don't suddenly just go. You just can keep up those performances. And, you know, William's always been that talented, skillful player that we saw at Chelsea and okay, he may not be as quick anymore, but he's still, you know, he can still perform at this level and he can still keep up at that level. And that's the main thing for us. And as Sarge said, if he can get those performances in, he'll be crucial for us this year. I'm going to do something very strange. I'm going to give a shout out to the ref. I thought Samuel Barrett was was very good considering he's only been a top well he's, this is his first Premier League game and he only started refereeing properly in 2020 but I thought he he handled it well especially with the Basham in, injury he's, he kept things ticking along he's only along. 28 and he, uh, yeah. and he was at Halifax Towns Academy I believe and then a yeah. big injury kind of ended his career but this is a good example where if you get officials in who have actually played the game before and played at a relatively good level, they will understand the game and they can play the, you know, they can ensure that the game is played at a good kind of intensity. And they can understand what, you know, they can understand like some of the chances and some of the tackles and, you know, some of the controversial decisions. They, they get it. They've played the game. They, they've been there. They, they know what's going on. And, you know, I would, I would encourage, you know, other, you know, if that, it's the future of officiating because he's quite a young official. I think that's a positive step for the game because, yeah, there are some 
officials who aren't, who aren't quite like that, who clearly have never played a game of football before and you know don't fully understand it all. Sarge, what was the view from the hammy end? Did he get abuse? No, I think the, the best thing you can say about a referee is that when you don't notice them. I didn't come away from that game thinking about anything that the referee had done or hadn't done. Um, I remember hearing about before the game that he was he was doing his first Premier League game. I think I think I heard it from you actually, Boney, when we were on the pod last week that this was going to be a new referee, and then I kind of forgotten about it, and then nothing happened in the game that made me remember it. It was it, that's that for me. That's what referees should do. No one's there to watch the referee. None of us pay for a ticket to watch the referee. I quite happily live in a world where I don't know any Premier League referee's name because that means that they're not doing anything noteworthy and that's exactly how it should be. They're not there to do anything noteworthy. They're there to allow the game to run and that should be it. And players need to have more respect for referees than we see but at the same time, this referee, there was no reason for the players to get on his back. There was no reason for the fans to get on his back. It was just, it was just a smooth game and I think you know, part of that might be down to the two teams. They're not two particularly dirty teams. It wasn't a rough and ready derby or anything. But if you come away from the game and you, you can't think of anything notable from the referee, then he's had a good game. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's positive. And that may, maybe with the right people, the, fact, the fast track system is looking good. So what what's our takeaways from our first look at Sheffield United because they are now one of four teams in the league who haven't won. Both the Sheffield clubs are winless. The other one being Bournemouth and the other being Cheltenham, apparently. Um, he says quickly going back to check his site. Yep, there we go. That's only four teams in the top four divisions that haven't won. And they're Fun one fact, Cheltenham scored their first league goal at the weekend as well. <laughs> Come on, haven't scored a single yeah. goal all season up until now. I've played in teams like that, so I, my heart goes out to them. Um, do do we think that, that that sort of little group at the bottom there, which is sort of Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth and United, uh, Sheffield United, are they the ones we're thinking are going to be the ones that either become the whipping boys or do we think one of them has the, the class to get out of it? I worry very much. I think Sheffield United look like they are the favourites to go down, and, and rightly so. I, I worry about Bournemouth. I think they're, they've they twisted when they probably should have stuck with Gary O'Neill, um, and it's not paid off. And it, it goes like that sometimes. Sometimes it works. I remember Southampton a few years ago when they hired Pochettino and everyone said they were crazy getting rid of um, Nigel Adkins, and everyone thought that was a mental move. And then Actually, they, they experienced some of the best years in their recent history off the back of that, that managerial change. Um, yeah, Sheffield United look in trouble. Bournemouth look in real trouble. Luton and Burnley are going to struggle. They're, they're just going to, just as, as a you know, as a nature of being a promoted team and, and having not really got off to a good start. Everton had a good result at the weekend, but I wouldn't count them out of it yet either. They're a completely different team when Dominic Calvert-Lewin plays and he likes to get injured, so another spell on the sideline for him, and they can like, be right back amongst might it. Might be a bit harsh. I'm <laughs> okay, he maybe he doesn't like it, it, but it, it happens to him. Um, you know, another another spell out for him, and they're they're back they're back in amongst it. I would imagine. And uh, look, 
I'm not just saying this because of who they are. Brentford need to be careful because there's every chance that Ivan Tony doesn't play for them again. And both Wissa and Mbermo are going to the African nation in mm. the new year. And That's they're not chat. they're not doing a lot at the moment. They're not picking up points. So that they're gonna lose their they could potentially lose their front three all in quick succession um at the start of at the start of the new year. And and at the moment, look, they gave Man United a good game and I think Brentford will be competitive in matches. They I don't think many teams will run them over, but are they gonna be good enough to pick up enough results to keep their head above water? I think they, they should do, but I I do think that they they might be looking over their shoulder a bit more than than the pre-season predictions would have suggested. I think that's that's a fair shout. It's it's still tight there. You know, where 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 are we? We're twelfth with eleven below Chelsea on goal difference, also on eleven. Then you've got sort of Brentford Everton on seven. Then it drops down to four three one for the bottom five. It's it's going to be tricky. I think especially everybody's got a really busy was it? we've got five games in december as well um injuries are going to play a part in that speaking of which how do we feel about bassi and ream as a centre-back pairing going forward because we've granted we've got international break now so there's a bit of time but spurs and united next that's i i still think we're going to get something out of spurs i i keep there's something in my head but I know we're going to get battered. But at the same time, there's a little voice saying, "We can get something." I don't know. Stats, I think, am, I, am I being optimistically uh, nuts? I think going back to your original question first about Bassi and Ream, that was two <laughs> questions. Good shout. Yeah, I think you know, going looking at that first question, I think Bassi and Ream are both two very competent centre backs, and I think Wigo made that point in the group chat about why is it so weird that two left-footed centre backs you know, can't play together, and it's really true because. There are you know, so many common examples of two right-footed centre-backs played together. I mean, Diop and Tosin did it last year um, for us. And Hangeland and Hughes, they were both two right-footed centre-backs. And that's our best centre-back pairing, arguably, in the Prem ever. So why is two left-footed centre-backs kind of so frowned upon? And I think it's just because, one, you don't see it often. You don't really get in a position where there are two left-footed centre-backs in the same team. Two, if you're a left-footed player you don't tend to become a centre-back a lot of the time. You become a left-back or a left-midfielder because there's so few left-footed players or significantly fewer left-footed players compared to right-footed players. And then, yeah, three, because of that, the majority of players are right-footed, so the odds are that you'd always have at least one right-footed centre-back in. But all of that doesn't kind of justify why we can't do two left-footed centre-backs. And I think they'll be completely fine. I think when Bassi came on, he looked fine. He made one kind of bombarding one forward, which... You kind of love to see. You're a little bit scared at times because you're kind of leaving. You're left exposed with the centre back, but I don't. It's just fun to see. It's it's fun to see a marauding centre back do things like that, and you know, kind of go things forward. It, you can see the the other team. They they're not quite sure what to do either because suddenly a centre back's out of position, making this run. You don't. We, none of our other players do that, but it's a partnership I'm willing to see. I think we've seen enough of Bassi to know that he's a competent centre back, and alongside Reem, I think that will be a good partnership to have. I think the only thing that, you know, concern of this two left-footed thing is you know, we like to play out from the back and the reason you have a left-footed centre-back in that left centre-back row is so you can kind of do, you know, those passing from a left-footed from a left-footed perspective. It's why Pep likes, like, always, has always liked to have a left-footed centre-back. He can kind of 
it's more natural to pass out on the wings or in those positions with a left-footed. You now lose that on the right side by not having a right-footed centre-back. But I think we'll be fine. Hopefully, Diop's not out for too long and hopefully Tosin, wherever he is, whether he will play for us again, um, can get you know back to full fitness as well and you know kind of alleviate this situation a bit because... Yeah, the fact is we have two fully fit centre-backs at the moment and that is not an ideal scenario at all. Yeah, that's more my concern than the fact that they're both left-footed is the fact that we're just we're down to bare bones a bit. Uh, we're, we're one injury away from having to pull in a, a very untested youngster to fill that role. Um, I, I don't think the left-footed thing is going to be too much of an issue, mostly because we don't play out to the right-hand side in the same way we play out to the left. I think it's more important that we have a left-footed centre-back on the left than it is we have a right-footed centre-back on the right, just the way that we're set up. Because most of our attacks go down the left. So it's more likely the ball goes, and you see it from goal kicks anyway, the ball generally goes to Tim Ream. It doesn't go to Diop from goal kicks when we're trying to play out from the back. The ball will go to Ream, and then he opens up and he plays out to Robinson, or he can play into the middle. We don't often go out to the right-hand side initially anyway. Um, and also, our right-backs aren't as... They're not as attack-minded as our left-backs are. So, Anthony Robinson is quite an attack-minded left-back. He, he gets forward a lot. He gets high up the pitch more often than Kenny Tete or Timothy Castagna do on the right-hand side. So, they're generally sitting a bit deeper, which means they can help in that build-up as well, and they will be right-footed. So... I don't think that's as much of an issue as it as it could be, but I am a bit concerned at the fact that we are down to two fit centre halves, two fit senior centre halves, with Tosin still injured, as well as not necessarily wanting to be here if reports are to be believed, and now Diop as well out injured. We we just a little bit short in that area. Um, I am. That's more of a concern. I am currently looking at free agents who are centre-backs uh, on transfer market. We have uh, Mustafi, Stephen Coulker, Jerome Barateng. Uh if, if Providing Jerome Boateng doesn't have to move, he wouldn't be a terrible, <laughs> terrible side. His, his, his problem was as soon as he had to go anywhere, um, if he can jump and head, and that was that's about it, really. Speaking of someone who watches quite a bit of Germany, that was all they ever got him to do was just stay at the back and try not to get too many people on side. I mean, I'm only, I'm only looking in jest, but there's no, there's no need to kind of panic and sign a random rogue free agent just because we're kind of a bit short. But if we were to lose another def- defender, if we were to lose either Real, uh, Reem or um, Bassi, then yeah, we might have to get a bit desperate. We'd probably end up putting Palinio at centre-back because that's what we did in pre-season, which be fine but then we'd lose Palinio in midfield which is you know, that would be the main concern for me if that was to happen Hey Fig Rolls has got his, his call up stick him in the back he's only three foot two but hey who cares I mean a lot of you look at how a lot of youth footballers broke through uh, not just at Fulham but at all clubs it came from just injuries and just pure luck that they had a route to the first team and sometimes they take their chance and they blossom into a really good you know, player. So it, it could happen for him. Wouldn't be an ideal situation because at the same time it could backfire and we could be exposing a really young, raw talent to the Premier League when they shouldn't, you know, they're nowhere near that level yet. But yeah, I'm sure it won't come to that and you know, we'll have, <laughs> we'll be back to a full 
four centre-backs sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed. I think we'll start wrapping up, but we got some positives here because I've got the, the, the call-ups because we're into the international break now. It's going to be quiet around Montsport Park for the next the next sort of 10 days because there is a lot of players that have gone. So let's do the list, shall we? Bassi, Balotore, Castagna, Bobby, uh, Luke Figrols. I can't you know, He's my countryman, so I'm going to give him a shout out. Canadians go, but to be fair, does anyone actually want to play for Canada at the moment? Uh, Matt Dibley did this. Uh, Luke Harris has got the dual call up to the under 21s and the main squad. Uh, it, it will be Raul Leno's up for the Germany squad, which is which is really good. They've only got friendlies at this break, but still, I think he deserves uh, deserves a shot there. Sasha Lukic, Paulinha, Tim Ream, Rodak, and Harry Wilson as well. Is up under 21s, Bowett, Bowie, Harris, Okes, O'Neill, um, Pajatsi, and uh, Williams. So it, it's it's a positive sign that we're getting the majority of the first team called up and a good number of the under 21s as well. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, I think it's a sign that things are going well for us, but it still feels like things aren't going well for us. And uh, Sarge, was it you who came up with the Uncle Jeff thing that kind of compares how oh, yeah. we actually are doing yeah. at the moment? <laughs> so Jacob Steinberg, who's on, um, he's on the the Totally Football Show at the Athletic, and he was on the uh, Football Weekly, Guardian Football Weekly, and he's he's the one that kind of introduces Uncle Jeff coefficient which basically takes your results from last season against the relevant teams and you mark it as you go through the season against against your points tally. So rather than just say after eight games, because I think we're are we at a point where we're at the same points total this season as we were after eight games last season. Is that yep, correct? correct? Exactly the same yep. points. Exactly the same points. So that suggests that we're doing as well as we did last season. But the Uncle Jeff coefficient essentially looks at the teams that we've played marks them against last season's results and tells us if we are actually doing as well as last season. So if we use the Arsenal game as an example, we've gained an extra point there because we lost away at Arsenal last season, but we've drawn away at Arsenal this season. So that's a, that's a point up on the Uncle Jeff coefficient, essentially. However, we've lost to, Bur- uh, to Brentford when we beat them at home last season and we've lost at home to them this season. We drew with Palace and we beat them away last season so we're down five points there and we lost to Chelsea um, when we beat them at home last season so that's another three points so that put us eight points down but we gained a point against Arsenal so we're actually seven points down on the Uncle Jeff coefficient based on last <laughs> season which does sound quite convoluted but when you think about it what it does suggest to us is that last season the reason we did so well was because we picked up some results that maybe you know, those those games that you look at and you go, oh, it's going to be tough to get points there. We did the double over Brighton last season. How confident is anyone that will do that again this season? We've got them coming up soon in an away game. I'm not confident that we're going to leave the Amex with three points. So immediately, you know, you're starting to have to look at other games. Now, the other thing that we did really well last season is we essentially beat everyone that was below us, bar, I think, West Ham, somehow managed to do the double over us. Um but we, we really picked up our points against the teams below us in the league. 
And then we also picked up some good results against the teams above us. Now, if we're not picking up results against the teams above us in quite the same way, because we're not as effective in front of goal, and at the moment we don't look to be that, that could change. It makes games like the weekend just gone even more important to get those results. It just puts a bit more pressure on those games that you look at and go, we should be winning this because Villa's going to be tough this season. We took three points off of them last season. Brighton's going to be tough again. We took six points off of them last season. Brentford, we took three points off of. We've already lost to them at home. It's going to be tougher away from home. Chelsea, we've already dropped points. So it just kind of narrows down the games where we're going to we're going to do as well as we could do. And I think everyone's kind of aware that we're probably not going to match what we did last season. And this season is just about staying solid. And we're in a position to do that. But the whole, oh, we've got the same amount of points at this time of the season as we did last time, isn't, doesn't quite ring true because the fixtures don't marry up. You do have to take into account that teams change. West Ham are a better team this season than they were last season, which actually makes the losses to them last season worse. But it also means that we're not necessarily more likely to pick those results up this season. So we have to find a way to fill the gaps. I think I think combining that with how we spoke about all the teams uh, that are in trouble this year, it kind of, you know, when when we had the disastrous into the transfer window earlier this year, there was a part of me that couldn't help that. There was a reason for that. And the reason being that we as a club are hedging our bets that there will be three worst teams than us in the Prem this year. And because of our FFP situation or because we don't want to spend money for whatever reason, we don't need to spend money this year because the Premier League looks a lot weaker. Weaker in the sense that although the top teams have got stronger, the teams in the bottom are weaker than ever. And I'd say so far, arguably that's true. Those teams in the bottom four or five are some of the weakest teams that have probably been in the Premier League for some time. And we're kind of relying on them to be worse than us to get results and we kind of content on finishing like 13th or 14th or something which I think looking at how we're playing so far how our summer's gone and the quality we have that would be a good season for us especially as a we're still we're, we're classed as a recently promoted team still um, ignore the fact that we yo we came up last year we stayed up how often does second season syndrome happen to clubs as well? That happens a lot where they don't perform as well. So staying up in the league is ultimately our goal. And also last year, because we came in the top half, that was never the goal for us. The goal for us last year was to just stay up. So to then try and, you know, that kind of inflated what our expectations were for this year, which if we were to finish 13th or 14th, that's still good for us, I think. As for a club of our size, where we've come from from recently in the championship, what we're currently at in terms of ability, that will still be a good season for us. But there is still kind of that little negative aura that is still going around because of what's happened over the summer. And it's why I've kind of, I can't decide whether we're in a good place or not. It's, it's a weird one. I, we're not in the bottom. I think we looked at the window as not as, productive as we want but we've got players that are doing the business for us now so I think barring I think injuries as Sarge was saying I think that's that's where we're gonna probably I'm I'm oddly optimistic like I said that's Bird's thing you you heard it you heard it here first right we've been going for a while let's let's start wrapping up let's do the usual bits and pieces um 
we will have an episode next week so do check in with that but if you are needing to get your football fix in fulham women are playing tomorrow night at motspur park they're playing dulwich hamlet why should you go watch fulham women well because they are bloody good at the moment since the beginning of september they have scored 37 goals and are undefeated amazingly dartford are even better they had a better start to the season so they're about five points clear at the top of the uh, london and southeast regional league but they are absolutely flying at the moment so if you're about you fancy heading up to mosby park tomorrow Hammett, first team my dad ever went to see play Quinton Casuals, as he tells me regularly. Um, then on Sunday, also at home to Enfield Town. The under-21s um, have been doing reasonably well. We're going to give them a shout-out because at the end of the month, on the Tuesday the 31st, they're playing Fire Nord under-21s at Motspur Park, which could be a, a giggle of a, of a day trip out. They're currently lying third in... Premier League under 18s table um, played one more game than the people around them, but they're they're looking good. So I, I think I think we need to do a, a pod outing to watch Fulham Women this season and um, cheer them on because they are doing wonders. And I'm reading um, Tony Banks' The Great Adventure all about Hamid Al Fayed's reign at Fulham, and I've just got past the the Fulham Women's bit, and that brought back some incredible memories of that team. So all the best to them. Like I said. We're back next week, so there will be another f- little bit of Fulham during an international break. We're just sorting out what we're going to talk about, but that's all good. Stato, Sarge, thank you so much for spending your Tuesday evening with me and for burning everybody's ears on a Wednesday morning when they get this. They're nodding, everybody, so they're not going to say goodbye to you. I wouldn't spend, it any, <laughs> I wouldn't spend my Tuesday evening in, in, in any other way. Yeah. Now we've just got to dive into the the WhatsApp chat, figure out what we're going to name this pod. But anyways, that's for another problem. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. It's been great fun going back over a win. As just have to say, we send our best to Chris Basham as well. Um, we hope him a speedy recovery and our best to his family and teammates as well, because nobody likes to see that. All the best to the players who are off on International Juicy. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Come on, you whites. Fulham.